Okay, well, welcome, Rent and Calvin Crandall, to the Beef Educators Podcast. And in, in this podcast, we're going to interview uh, producers who are on the cutting edge, who are making changes, who are who provide an example of operations that, that we'd like to use in our our education and in, in our not only education but research. So, with us, we have Calvin and Rent Crandall uh, out of where, where's your home home base there. Where's well, this is this is Calvin Crandall, and appreciate being involved with this today. We live. I live in Springville, Utah. That's where our, our operation is based out of. So I live in Springville. Uh, our summer range is in the Bridger Valley of Wyoming. Uh, we're just over the border in Wyoming uh, from Utah. If Utah were square instead of Wyoming, we'd still be in Utah. But we're just over the border in Wyoming. That's where we summer our our cow herd. And then the winter of the cow herd back in Utah in Juab County. Uh, our, our summer range is, is all private. Well, we have one section of state lease. So we have about 4,000 acres of, of summer range. And then our winter range is about 10,000 acres of private land and about that much of a BLM permit, that many acres of a BLM permit. Predominantly cow calf operation. Uh, and I'm the fifth generation that's been doing this. Uh, Calvin, who, who all is involved in your operation other than you? Uh, well, it's a, it's a family operation. Uh, like I say, I'm the, I'm the fifth generation. My dad, uh, his dad before him, obviously his dad before him, uh, settled in Springville in 1850. And uh, dad always said we could never afford a bus ticket out of town, so we decided to stay. But anyway, <laughs> It's just, it's, it's a family operation consisting of myself, uh, my wife, Catherine, been married for 35 years. And uh, our oldest son, Wes, uh, is part of the operation. He has a separate, a separate business called Jones Creek Beef, where he provides grass-fed beef uh, to, of all people, Walmart. So he's one of several producers that uh, provide grass-fed beef to Walmart. He likes to help us on the ranch, but we have to schedule around him sometimes. Uh, my second son, Chase, uh, he works with me full time. He's a mechanical engineer, graduated from Utah State. All my kids graduated from Utah State, so go Aggies. Uh, so Chase works with me full time. Uh, our third son, Rhett, who's on the call, uh, going to school at uh, Utah State, finishing up his, what is it, Rhett, your master's degree? Master's of business what masters of, masters of ag, ag business masters of ag business there you go so this is your last semester there or have you got an, another one i've got uh, one more after this so fall fall and spring or fall and winter i don't know what they call them now yes fall, fall and spring fall and spring and then rad also works for western ag credit uh and then our youngest karen uh, she is a counselor at uh, Maple Mountain High School in uh, Mapleton, and her husband Jeb, he's a, he works at a cabinet shop, but they also help us part time. So it's a family operation. Uh, my son Chase works with me full time, so two full time employees, and then some part time. And then whenever we have a roundup, there's a, a lot of other people that come in and help us as well. Very nice. So, you know, I know that we've talked a little bit. You've you've actually spoken at the. Utah Beef Field Day, and we've uh, asked you to be kind of our one of our producer 
advisors for some different grants that we're doing. And part of that is, you know, some of the unique things that, that your operation does. And um, if you just kind of, I guess, reiterate, what, what are some significant changes that, that you've made on, on, on your, with your operation? And, you know, what's kind of been the, the result of those changes as you've gone forward? Okay, thank you. Uh, probably the two things that stuck out, sticks out with me uh, is one is the grazing. Uh, we used to have a, a, some farm ground, well, we still have some farm ground in Springville. We leased it out to a neighbor, but we used to put up crops and we used to have our own feedlot where we'd background our calves and sometimes we'd fatten them, sometimes we'd just uh, background them. We got away from that in the mid 80s to early 90s and just focus on grazing and raising the cows and calves. So one of the things we do is, is our grazing management. Uh, Many of you have heard of the Ranching for Profit School with Stan Parsons, uh, who just passed away about a month ago, uh, by the way. Uh, and he worked a lot with Dave Pratt, who has since uh, sold the business to Dallas Mount. Took me a minute to think of his name. Anyway, through the Ranching for Profit School, we've got into more of the holistic, if you will, or the rotational grazing uh, for our rangeland. And so that's, that's been a major change for us. Instead of just turning, you know, a handful of cows out on 10,000 acres and fend for yourselves, we've, we've subdivided and fenced uh, a lot with single wire electric fence into anywhere from 100 acres to 600 acres. And it's made our grazing more efficient. Instead of the cow, cows are somewhat lazy, uh, they don't have to go as far away from water as they can to feed. But if you, uh, if you force them to the farthest, farther corners of the ranch and make sure they still have water and feed, then you get a lot more utilization out of the ranch. And we've done that. So we, we do a lot in grazing management, uh, bunch the cows up, uh, keep all the cows in, in one herd and move them every one to four days. Uh, on the summer range up here, it's usually one to three days, like I say, sometimes four at the longest until we get rid of the calves and put them out on some sagebrush and then we'll leave them for maybe two weeks. Uh, but most of the time it's, uh, it's a rotational grazing. Uh, Dad used to spread the cows out. Let's put, a, let's put a handful over here, a handful in that pasture leave them for two weeks and the, the grass got down to where it was only three or four inches tall and it had a hard time coming back because there was no leaf area. I'll put 600 cows in 100 acres for one day, eat half the feed and then move on. And if you leave eight to 10 inches of, or six to eight inches of, of stubble height, you've got a lot more leaf area to catch uh, the sunshine, the solar activity, more photosynthesis, the grass comes back quicker. Uh, it also shades the ground, keeps the ground cooler. Your water cycle is better. So we focus a lot on the, on the grazing aspect of our operation. So that's one thing that we've done. The second thing that we've done is, is also focus on our cattle. And back in the, I don't know, 70s, early 80s, we had Hereford cows. And that was all we had was Hereford cows. And then the Angus industry has done a really good job of promoting the, the Angus breed. So we started crossbreeding with Angus. And pretty soon you've got cows the size of a boxcar. They're way too big. 
it takes too much feed. And so we focused on downsizing the size of our cow herd. Instead of having a 1500 pound cow, I like to have a 1000 to 1200 pound cow. And we focused on that. So we focus on smaller females. Uh, we can run more females. They're not as big. The calves aren't as big. We don't wean a 600 pound calf anymore. We used to, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we had a 600 pound calf at weaning uh, in October. Now we have 500 pound calves, but we've got way more of them because of our grazing management, because our cows are smaller. Instead of running 400 cows, I can run 600 cows and I'm weaning more total pounds of beef off the same acres. And so that's been our main focus over the last 10 to 15 years is the grazing management and the, and the cattle management. Uh, Calvin, uh, yes. correct me if I'm wrong. Did you guys alter your calving season as well? A little bit. Yes, we did. We used to calve our replacement heifers started on the, the middle of February and ran them all through a barn. You know, we had, we kept them in Springville where we could watch them. You ran them through a barn and it was, it was like hitting yourself in the head with a hammer, but then you kept taking the Tylenol to keep the pain away. Well, why not quit hitting yourself in the head with a hammer? So we altered our calving season. We pushed it back from the middle of February to the middle of March. And you'd be surprised what 30 days does in the springtime. Uh, we don't calve our heifers through a barn anymore. We still keep them in Springville where we can watch them a little closer. So we've, we don't run them through a barn. We just calve out in the pastures. They're close enough that I can go through on a four-wheeler probably twice a day, once in the morning, once at night, check up on them. And we focus on low birth weight uh, calving ease bulls. We buy all of our bulls from a producer over in uh, Burlington, Colorado, Kit Farrell with Farrell Cattle Company. And he focuses on all grass, kind of an all natural, smaller animals, smaller frame size. And, and that's helped. That's helped with our cattle, with our frame size. But it's also changed the way we calve our heifers. We don't run them through a barn anymore. And it's made a big difference. Uh, and then our, our regular cow herd, they calve out in the cedars and uh, the cedar trees, juniper trees and sagebrush in Juab County, west of Nephi. So yes, that has been a, another thing that we focused on is, is calving ease um, to get more live, more live calves. And it's made our life a lot simpler too. We don't have to run them through a barn. You don't have the sickness of running through a barn. Uh, Mother Nature does a great job. If you work with Mother Nature instead of against her, she's, she's awesome. I love her as a partner. <laughs> Calvin Enret, um, this is a two-part question. What are some of the major risks you face on your operation and how do you manage those risks? Um, okay, say that again. You just cut out for a minute. So two parts. What are the major risks you face on your operation and how do you manage those risks? Gosh, I don't know. I'll, uh, I'll take this one, Dad. Okay, all right. Um, so, all right. so price risk, um, that's one of the risks that uh, is very present with cow-calf producers. Um, so instead of selling our calves uh, in the fall or running the calves through a sale barn in the fall when everybody else does, 
we typically uh, do some forward contracting in the summer. Um, we do that with one of the local uh, kind of video auction houses here in Utah, uh, Big Blue Sale Barn. And uh, we're, we usually set those contracts in either late June and early July. And I feel like that, that has given us an advantage uh, by locking in a higher price in the summer. And it, I, Dad, you can confirm this, but I would say it's made us more profitable. Yeah, it has. You know, we don't, uh, we used to, we used to background our own calves and run them through the, through a feedlot. We used to background them in our own and then we backgrounded them in a, in a grower yard in Sterling, Colorado, and then put them in a feedlot in North Platte, Nebraska. The last time we did that probably, you know, it's been at least 10 years ago. At the end of the day, when I sold all the cattle as fat cattle, I made an additional $20 per head. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I had to own them for 18 months or 15 months, had to own them for an additional year and got a $20 a head. And I thought, guys, it ain't worth it. So we focus on the cows, the calves, uh, and it's been good. We've, we've been through uh, several different marketing agencies. And the one that we've settled with now is Big Blue Sale Barn out of Nebraska. We worked through uh, Clyde Magnuson and his son Rod down in Emory County. They're the sale representatives. And it's been good for us. It's been good for us. Uh, we sell them as all natural. We don't implant. Uh, no additional hormones. Um, they're not certified organic. I tell everybody we're non-certified organic because we're kind of an organic operation, but we don't do the certification. I looked into it once and looked at the stack of paperwork and thought, yeah, that's not going to happen. So we're an all natural operation. We don't do any implants. Uh, give them a, an eight way shot in the spring, uh, a four way shot in the spring. We booster that in the fall and that's the only, that's the only shots the animals get. So yeah, the risk price risk is a, is a big deal. We it's, it's, like Rhett said, it's kind of a forward contract, but we do not, I do not play the futures market. I'm not, that's not my cup of tea. That's not my forte. I spend my days in irrigating boots. I don't sit in an office and watch the, the stock market or watch the, the cattle market like that. So, so that, that's not my forte. We do keep track of the market, but uh, we don't do any, any forward contracting or buy puts and calls and all that kind of stuff. Some do, great, good for them. That's, that's, not, my, that's not my idea of, of working all day. Do any of your sons, I mean, as you divide up duties, are any of them prone to wanting that side of the business? You know, that's something to think about. Uh, we hadn't really talked about that, but that would be something that, something that is possible. I know with, with Wes, with his grass-fed beef business, he has his hand, he buys cattle all day, every day for his grass-fed beef business. So he has his hand pretty much on the pulse of the, of the industry of where it's going and what the prices are. But no, we haven't, we haven't chosen to focus on that, but it's something we could do. And maybe, you know, somebody who's in, uh, I don't know, in uh, economics, you know, like, I don't know, a master's of ag business that could do that. That might be something to, to think about. What do you think, Brad? What do you think, Brad? <laughs> no, that would be good. 
we're we're usually a fan of uh, group texts, and so this this summer when we were deciding to whether or not to forward contract our calves, um, we were texting back and forth, and so we we do kind of decide as a family. Uh, kind of us boys, we together texted it out and made that decision. And that's one thing about technology these days is you can be so much more connected. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when cell phones first came out, you could make a phone call. Now you can do so much more on my, on my cell phone. I can, I can look up the weather in, I don't know, pick a city, Chicago, Washington, Jerusalem. If I wanted to go to Jerusalem, I could see what the weather's doing in Jerusalem on my phone. So it's just a matter of getting the right program uh, and tracking that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's something to look at, something to think about. All right, so kind of going forward, this is actually one of my favorite questions to ask producers. So if you had to go back, back in time, what, what are some things that you might've wished you had done differently or maybe wish you had done more, more quickly? Probably goes back to the grazing management. <clears throat> you know, when we were back when we had a lot of farm ground and your crunch time with farm ground was the same crunch time with cattle. You had spring and fall and you're so busy doing everything. You can only do half a job of each. And it got to the point where we couldn't see the forest for the trees. And so that's when we went to the, to the ranching for profit school uh, back in the late eighties, early nineties. And that was a, uh, kind of an eye-opener for me and one thing that that Dave Pratt said to me that really stuck out in my mind and, and Stan Parsons uh, really drilled it into my mind it's like water skiing everybody wants to to learn to water ski but they want to go slow they're they're afraid to to jump in and go very fast well you cannot water ski going slow there's a there's a certain speed you just got to hit it to to get up on the plane to get out of the water it's the way it is with grazing management. You can't just dip your toe in and, well, let's do a little bit here, let's do a little bit there. You have to jump in and do all at once. And we kind of hesitated for a couple of years and that it, it slowed us down a little bit. But, uh, but that was a big deal for us to, to change our grazing, to, to run them in smaller bunches. It was a huge mindset for my dad because he had grown up, you know, you just spread your cows out and, and let them go. But to, to see them bunched up and to move them that often was, uh, it was hard for him. It was hard for him to give up the farm ground. Uh, we actually had to sell the farm machinery when we, when we did that to keep from going back in and, and, and doing the farming. But yeah, we gave up the farming, focused more on the range management, and we probably should have done it a little bit sooner. And we're still learning. Like I say, I don't have all the answers. I have good friends, good people in extension. Thank you, Eric Thacker. Uh, for that. Uh, they're good, good people to work with and we're always looking for ways to improve, to make things more efficient and more effective. So Calvin, you said something interesting about, you know, making this change with your dad. A lot of farms and ranches operations struggle when that next generation wants to make changes and that older generation is very hesitant. Can you just talk to me, how, how did you work through that with your dad? Well, I had a, I had, I still have an older brother. Uh, he lives up in Chesterfield, Idaho. And back in the, 
I guess in the late nineties, we traded some ground along the Wasatch front for, uh, for his place up in Idaho. It was hard, but getting, getting dad on board was, was not easy. He was, uh, out of lack of a better word, he was old school. He liked doing things the old, the way that they'd always been done. He did them that way because that's the way granddad did and his granddad before him. And he was from Scotland, which made no sense. Great. It's the way they do it in Scotland, but it's not the way we do it here. So it was, it was difficult to, to get him on board, but we just went ahead and, and made the change. We said, dad, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to go out and we're going to put in some water lines on our winter range. We're going to subdivide the elect with the electric fence. And after about five years, he could see, he could see the benefit. It's like, it's like I can see the benefit of only having one herd of animals instead of having them spread out. You can bunch them up. You can see them better. They're easier to manage. Uh, it took me a little while. When, when dad passed away in 2009, uh, the summer of, two, he died in January of 2009, the summer of 2009, when I came up here to Wyoming to, to run things, all of a sudden I'm find myself doing the same thing, spreading some cows here, some cows there. After a year, the boys said, dad, this isn't going to work. We got a bunch of these cows, put them all in one bunch. And I thought, all right, let's put them all in one, one bunch, see what happens. Eye opening, huge eye opener. Cause now I only have to open the gates where the cows are for one thing. It's easier that way. You can see the animals and it's better for the rangeland. You bunch them up, you eat the grass and then move them on. They get, you know, 45 days, 50 days of rest for the, for the grass to come back. Uh, it was a huge deal, but yeah, it was hard on dad somewhat hard on me but once we made the change uh it's made a huge difference and sometimes you just have to hunker down and make the change how many years do you think it took i mean that's one of the issues when you start talking about making changes i mean was there a point in time when you thought uh let's just go back to the way we did it or i mean how long did that you said your dad it took him five years was it about the same what were you did you have the same experience uh not quite not quite the same experience i could i could see it a little faster he was okay with us making some changes on the winter range the winter range uh, we had on our private we have 10 10,000 acres in one block it had a perimeter fence and a barbed wire fence that split down the middle so we had roughly 5,000 acres on each side of the fence we had with that we had uh, some dry land wheat some dry land farm uh, mixed in with that we did away with that farm ground planted it to grass and i'm still waiting in places i'm still waiting for the grass to grow and that was in 1996. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting for the grass to start to grow i'm still waiting for it to rain so the grass will grow it'll come so, it'll, come. <laughs> it'll come it'll come so that's a challenge in, a, in that dry environment but what we did was we took that well we had uh, a well that was right in between and luckily we have electricity there and we pumped uh it's basically the east side of sage valley the west side of sage valley went five miles up to a to a hill put a storage tank and put a two inch water line five miles up through the valley and then came back with a bunch of uh rubber tired water troughs and then subdivided the pastures dad could see that was that was going to be a benefit we came back about six, seven years later and cut the pastures in half because 
one full section, a mile square, was too big. So we cut them all in half. Now they're 320 acres, and they're still too big. But I've got to figure out a water system now to, to keep water in the pastures to, to do that. But I'm seeing a benefit. And so Dad could see that. But up here on the summer range, it still took him, well, he never did see it. He always had, you know, 150 or so cows in this pasture and a handful of cows and calves in the other pasture until I got here he still did it that way he couldn't he couldn't see bunching all the cows up but as soon as I did that it was a it was a huge eye-opener to see how much more feed how much more efficient we were with the feed and how many more cows we could graze because of doing that your your grass regrowth is much better you have a a longer recovery period for the grass and you can actually grow more grass and graze more animals so i hope that answered your question oh that was good if not, if, if not ask it again <laughs> all right so i guess we're, we're going to kind of ask you to play kind of fortune teller for us here okay. now going forward you know uh what are some hurdles that you think your operation will have to overcome and you know obviously you're, you're part of it right now but how do you think uh that next generation is going to have to what, what they're going to have to do to kind of address some of these hurdles going forward maybe that's a question for red as well well i'm going to say that's one one hurdle is the next generation and how do we structure that uh my grandfather put a lot of this, a lot of this ground together, not all of it, some of it we bought. He passed away in 1965 and he had, he had lung cancer. And when he knew, when it's like the doctor said, hey, we've done all we can do, Vern, you're not gonna make it, you're gonna die. So he, he gathered the family together and there was my dad and he had one older brother that he worked with and then some another brother and some sisters and he gathered everybody together and said okay family this is the deal i want sunny and Vern or sunny and rule to have the farm but this is this is the price they're going to pay they're not going to get it for nothing but this is the price they're going to pay so that drew a line in the sand um the following year my uncle rule was in a train car accident and was killed almost a year to the day of when grandpa died and then dad finished making payments to that making payments to the rest of the family and then over time uh my older my older brother and i we worked and worked through the ranch with dad worked on the ranch with dad but we also made some off-farm investments and my sisters received those off-farm investments so they got a share of the farm and it was divided between my brother and i but that's the thing is succession you know how do you how do you plan for the next generation which one of the next generation gets the farm which one doesn't get the farm how do you is is fair equal and is equal fair and that's some that's another thing that i learned in the ranching for profit is fair equal and is equal fair uh so yeah that's the i guess that's the next 64 dollar question that i have to look at is i have three sons and a daughter do they all share in it equally or is somebody going to get the, the ranch and somebody's going to get something else and somebody's going to get a pat on the back and a handshake and say, thanks for, thanks for being my son or my daughter. I don't know. That, I guess that's the, that's the question. 
that's the dilemma is where do we go from here? Well, and I, that's I don't something think you're alone with that either because we've, we've, we've gone around and talked to a number of Utah farmers and ranchers and that, that is the exact dilemma that, that, that a lot of people are dealing with is how does this transfer to the next generation? And, you know, there, there are some, there's confounding factors there, you know, because you have offspring or heirs that are actively involved in the farm and would like to continue going forward. And then you have heirs off the farm that still, you know, there, there's back to the equal versus fair question. So, I mean, I, I think that's one of the biggest dilemmas we're, we're seeing with a lot of our farmers and ranchers, especially now that, what, what was the estimate that 90 something percent of all farm assets are owned by people 70 years or older. So, I mean, that's something that I think we're going to be dealing with in the industry going forward. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's way to do it, ways to do that, to accomplish the, the transfer. My problem is who do I transfer it to? You know, does my son Chase that works with me full time, does he get the ranch and Rhett gets a pat on the back and says, thanks, Rhett, appreciate it. You know, I, I don't know. We, we don't know who to transfer it to. And do we put it in a trust to where each one of my children have 25% of the trust and they continue to work together? Or does somebody give it free and clear or somebody has to pay for it? I don't know. But you're right. That is, that is the question. And, and I'm not afraid to step back and turn the reins over to somebody else. I know dad had a hard time with that until all of a sudden he's in his upper 70s, early 80s, and it's like, I'm not going to live forever. I got to start turning over some of the, the responsibilities. But yeah, there's, there's ways to do it. We just have to figure out who to do it with. Right. So I don't know. Maybe I just danced around the question. But no, that's a, that's a, that's a concern that, that Catherine and I, my wife and I have of, how do we get it to the next generation the way that mom and dad did it for us? No, I think that's a great answer to the question. Sure. And, I, and I think it, it illustrates that, you know, you're, you're ahead of the game on that because I think a lot of people really don't address that issue until either it's too late or forced to, to deal with that issue unexpectedly. So the fact that you're ahead of the game and you're actually right. a great thing. Yeah, we've been to a, a number of seminars, well, mostly with, with mom and dad, you know, 15 years ago on how to do it. There are ways to do it. You just have to figure out who's going to get what. And that's the $64 question. You don't want to split the ranch four different ways and everybody gets, everybody gets a fourth of it. Because once you take an operation and split it, you've got, you don't have a full-time operation anymore. Yeah. And that's one thing I don't want to do is to, to split that up. You, you see a lot of these little mountain valleys uh, as I drive back and forth from Springville to the ranch out here in Roberts and I go through Colville. And from Wanship to Colville is this beautiful little rolling valley. And it's just gorgeous. Now, man, if a guy had this whole valley, he could really have something. Of course, you've got the freeway and it uh, used to be the railroad that split it in half. And then you look at it and back in the early 1800s when the pioneers got here, it was a great valley. But over time, it just keeps getting subdivided and smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's getting harder and harder to, to have a full-time operation when, when you split the operation up. 
So that's one thing that we have. And I think that's something we have a goal of as a family is we're not going to split the operation up, but how do we, how do we pass it to the next generation and who get, who are the next generation gets it. And it may be that it's a, it's a, a partnership between everybody, between all four of the, all four of my children each have an equal ownership of it and they all continue to work together, but you can't, you can't split it up or you've ceased to have an operation at that point. Brett, what you, uh, what's your perspective on this as a, as the next generation, what do you see as some of the major challenges coming forward? Uh, I mean, I share that same vision that my dad talked about that, uh, you know, we, we do want to keep it as an operation and we also want to maintain our family ties. You know, we don't want to be mad at each other and bitter about it. And so we're, we're trying to have this delicate balance of, you know, a viable cattle operation and a, a viable family, you know, as well. And so that's, that's a, a concern that we all have and, and we want the ranch to be profitable. We don't want to just all come work on the ranch for $10,000 a year salary. You know, we, we need something that, uh, that can support our, our families. So it, it is a challenge and, you know, we all want to stay involved. Uh, all of me and my siblings, we, we enjoy it. We love working together on the, on the ranch and we want our kids to grow up working on the ranch. So, so I would say that that's a, a very similar concern that we want to stay involved and, uh, and see the operation flourish. So what, Kind of building on this, if we took this from an industry perspective, what do you see as some of the main challenges facing the beef industry? You know, separating from the family operation to as a whole. You know, just from your perspective, what are some areas that you see are really going to challenge the industry in the future? From my perspective, I'm seeing uh, ranch profitability as an issue. You know, I where I'm in the ag finance industry, I, I see lots of operations and, and just in general agriculture, we're kind of in a, in a down cycle where, you know, nearly all sectors of agriculture are struggling. And uh, we want to see ag operations be profitable. You know, we want, to, we want agriculture to, to help raise good communities, raise good, raise good children, and also provide amazing quality uh, food products and other products, but uh, that's that's kind of a concern that we're seeing right now. Is can uh, can these ag operations cycle this, or can they withstand this uh, this downturn in the industry? Yeah, I say I was just thinking when you were asked when you were answering that, Rhett. You know what what is the future of the livestock industry in the United States? Slash. I guess worldwide, since we're a, a, a worldwide uh, economy, if you will. But yeah, where where is it going? I mean, you have the the Beyond Meat, the Impossible Burgers. You have the the people that are developing a, a burger that tastes like a burger, but it's all plant based. And you know what? I hope I never have to eat one of those. I'm a beef guy. I like beef. I'll always eat beef. But there's a certain segment of the population that doesn't want to eat beef, but they want to have a hamburger that tastes like that. And so, you know, you'll, you'll always have somebody that will challenge the industry. And I'm not against that. If they want to challenge it, great, go for it. Uh, but that's a, that's a challenge we've got to look at. Uh, another thing is price. 
like Grant just said, how do we how do we compete with that impossible burger? Can we compete? Are we competing? Have we already beat it on price, on flavor? I don't know. You know, and, and I understand markets go up, markets go down. Can you survive the downturn until it comes back up again? Well, I certainly hope so. But yeah, that's a that's a challenge that we need to look at. You know, something that, that I just thought of, of the next generation, you know, do we all have to be ranchers? You know, I, I look at our family now, Wes has his grass-fed beef business and does very well, but he still wants to be involved with the, a lot of the operations of our, of our ranch. Chase works full-time, so he's, he's knee-deep into it. You know, he's already tried calling me twice today, and I had to keep declining his phone call. Uh, Rhett is obviously involved in the finance end of things. And maybe we just divide things up and we all remain partners and say, hey, we're all going to be partners in this. Somebody's going to take over marketing. Somebody's going to take over production. Somebody's going to take over finance. And maybe we just divide and, and conquer that way. You know, another thing that I thought of, is there a way to grow our business? Can we add more acres? Can we take some of these smaller, smaller farms where the 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 owner is older and can we assume their assets and, and grow our business? I don't know. Something something to think about. I look at the oh, there's a family down in Fillmore. I can't think of their names right now, but they they have a beef cattle operation. They've branched out to keep all the family involved. They've branched out. They have a they have a farming operation, they have a feedlot, and they have a slaughter facility, a harvest facility where they process the animals and they, they're 100% vertically integrated from the cow-calf to the end consumer. And, and that's a way I think that they've managed that is to, hey, we're just going to grow the business and have a bigger business and involve more people with it. And that's, that's an opportunity that, that you could do is to grow your business. Don't just put your head in the sand and say, we've always been cow-calf and that's all we're going to do. Sometimes you have to look outside the box and say, hey, is there something else that we can do to make it profitable for everybody to make a, a, a living wage working with the farm and the ranch? Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right on, right on with all those ideas. I, yeah, I think, because uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about your, your, your sons and your daughter. One's a mechanical engineer. I mean, One's in finance. I was thinking, man, each one has their own strengths, their own unique abilities. Yeah, it'll be interesting how. I mean, I think, I think each one could could bring a different strength to the operation. But yeah, the Correct. challenge would be combining those. Exactly, and that's why I appreciate you know. And here, here's my plug for uh, USU Extension. I always enjoy going to the extension meetings, whether it's the beef cattle field day, whether it's the the a day here a day there going to different meetings on different topics because it broadens my horizon it gets me something else to think about it gets me away from the 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 day-to-day -day grind if you will for a for a day to think about something else to see what what are my options what are other people doing you know and i i really love going on field days to other people's ranches to see what they're doing and why they're doing it. See what they're doing for range management, see what their cows look like, talk to them about economics. I enjoy talking to you guys. You guys have some great ideas that I've never thought of before on how to improve my business. 
and other aspects of, of, of agriculture. So, so there's my plug for extension, but I do enjoy that because it, it gives me different ideas. I, and some, sometimes I run the, run the idea up the flagpole and the family looks at me and says, dad, you're crazy. That isn't going to work. And I say, Hey, I just want to pick your, pick your brain. And then we'll run another idea up the flagpole. And they're thinking, well, gee, that makes a lot of sense. Why didn't we, why didn't we think of that? And why didn't we do it 20 years ago? So there's always, there's always things to think about. There's always improvements to be made. Yeah, I think that's the key to any good operation is that's exactly the mindset they have, especially multi-generational operations. I think, you know, if you come in and think I'm just going to do it the same way we've always done it, that's, that's a precarious position to put yourself in as an operation. <laughs> that, that doesn't always work in today's, in today's economy. No, that's exactly, exactly right. Well, we appreciate your time. Um, Matt, any other questions? No, I, I just really appreciate uh, you guys taking the time to talk to us today. And, you know, I know you said that you get a different perspective from, from extension a lot of times with some ideas, but, you know, talking with you guys and talking with producers helps us out tremendously as well. So thank you. Thank you again for meeting with us today. Oh, you bet. Yeah. And I, I enjoy the different articles that people write about different things and, I'll, I'll look at those ideas and think, you know what, been there, done that, tried it. It worked great. And another idea will come along and you know what, been there, done that, tried it, was a miserable failure, not doing that one again. <laughs> so they're good. They're all good ideas, you know, and, and what's good for me may not be good for somebody else. It just depends on your operation, your location, and what you want to do. If you want to keep doing it the way granddad did, great. And that works for you, great, go for it. I don't have a problem with that. But if you want to change, don't be afraid to change. Yep. Uh, that's exactly right. Well, um, with that, we'll, we'll finish this up. Thank you again. I know you're both extremely busy. Red has some hard classes coming up in the next couple of days. He's got some tough <laughs> professors. So yeah. Yeah. Hopefully he's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, he'll, he's, He's okay. Load him up with plenty of homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to both of you. Have a good rest of your day. Okay, we'll yeah, do. Thank, thank you all. all very much. Appreciate yeah. being involved with you. Bye. Yep. Thank you again. Okay. You bet.